You know, guys, we're, we're, we're going through this series, Rise Up. It comes out of the book of Nehemiah where they said, Rise Up and Build. And we've been talking about rising up and rebuilding the walls in our life. And we've seen that they've rebuilt the walls, but that's about the first half of the book. That last half of the book really talks about them dealing with some issues, really, that you could basically say is for them to maintain the walls in their life so they don't get to the place again where the walls are crumbling in their life. And we've got a, we've just got a few more weeks left, you know, when we're done with this. We're up to chapter 9. There's, I think, 12, 13 chapters in Nehemiah. And we're, we're almost done here. After this series, I just want to go ahead and give you a plug. After this series, we're going to be doing a series and I've been really praying about this, and this has been really on my mind, and I've talked to a few people trying to get their feedback on it, and I think this is what we're going to do next. We're going to do a series on the abundant life. Now, what do you mean, George? Well, you know, Jesus said that he came so that we could have life and that we could have it more abundantly. So he came not just to save you, but he came so that your spiritual life would be marked by abundance. Now, when we talk about abundance, I am not talking about the size of your wallet or your bank account or the amount of stuff that you have at home. That's really not, he's not talking about that. When he's talking about abundance, he talks about in other places about it flowing out of your life. He's talking about having a meaningful relationship with him. And, and to be honest with you, most of us, just being flat out honest with you, most of us have no clue about that. We just think salvation is pray a prayer and come to church, give. And the concept of God having a relationship with me in an abundant life throughout the week that goes over our head, we haven't even ever considered that. So that's why we're going to do it. And we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, as soon as I say that, people are like, oh, my goodness, I see TV, George. Is that what you're talking about? No, actually, I think you need to be taught what the Bible actually teaches about that rather than reacting. And so we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit interacts in your life as we go through this. So, it's, so this is a series that's coming up. I'm formulating it in my mind. I'm, I'm allowing the scriptures to guide me. So that's what we're looking forward to. You say, okay, but we're in this series. Yeah, but it's going to be connected. But let's get our thoughts back to what we're talking about today. You notice on the screen it has a title for today's message. It's called Coming Clean. Okay, so what's that do? So when you talk about coming clean, that's really talking about you being real about the stuff in your life, right? Ever said to somebody when you're confronting them and they're giving you all kinds of excuses, all kinds of reasons, and, and they're just kind of dodging the answer, and you finally just say, okay, look, just come clean with me. What's going on? And that's really what we're going to talk about today, because to be honest with you, you know, you would talk about rebuilding the walls, and we want to rebuild the walls in our life, and we want to talk about maintaining the walls in our life, but there, there comes a comes a moment, actually many moments, where you and I really have to be honest with ourselves and come clean about, first of all, why the walls were broken in the first place. 
And by walls, I'm talking about really the wholeness of your lives, the wholeness of your marriages, the wholeness of your family, even the wholeness of the church. We've got to come clean with what did we do to bring about the issue. You know what I'm saying? Because we live in a culture today. Have you noticed it's everybody else's fault? My hair's falling out. That, that's got to be some chemical from some burger I've been eating. It's only affecting me. It's not affecting anybody else. But it's somebody else's fault, right? Or it's, I got my grandpa's jeans. I remember he didn't have hair. You know, just so, the reality is, is we want to blame everybody else. But the fact of the matter is, is if we're going to maintain wholeness in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, it starts with you and I. I mean, let me just say it. It, it. it starts with you and I. It starts with me. If I, I look at my relationship with Lori, here in another couple months, we're going to be married 25 years. If I'm going to talk about wholeness in my marriage with Lori, I'm not, I, my time is wasted talking about what she needs to do after 25 years. That's just a waste of time. It's really got to start with, okay, George, you've had 25 years to figure out you're a mess. What do you need to do? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Th that's true for all of our lives. And, and so what we're going to see here is, is that we're, we're going to deal with the people of Jerusalem. And again, this is right after last week where they saw the importance of of the word of God in their life and responding to it, God's still working in their life. And they're going to come clean. They're going to come to a place where they recognize it starts with me. So I want you to notice with me, we're just going to look at, first of all, the first three verses of chapter 9. Now, on the 24th day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting in sackcloth and with dust on their heads. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in the place, in their place, and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and the another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. So here's what I want you to notice. So they responded by obedience and so forth. We've already seen that in chapter 8 as they responded to God's word. But they're, they're coming. Here's the thing. As you get deeper into God's word, as you get deeper into the relationship with him, I'm just going to make this point. You're going to realize who you really are. I'm going to realize who I really am. And I'm just going to tell you, we're not as perfect as we think we are. Okay? We're not as perfect as we think we are. I mean, as you get older, you think you've arrived. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. We're all works in progress. Do you understand what I'm saying? Look, look at your neighbor and say, you're a work in progress. Do it with a smile, okay? <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Do it with a smile, okay? 
I know that in PA, when you tell somebody they're a piece of work, that's not a good thing. But that's not what we're talking about here. All right? We're talking about you and I are works in progress. And, and, and as you get into God's word, as they were doing, as they were seeing God working in their lives, you become more and more aware that you're not right. That I'm not right. I mean, stop for a moment. Think about that with me. <clears throat> in every instance in the Bible where somebody came into the presence of God, Isaiah, John, Ezekiel, Joshua, Moses, Abram, other instances where people came in contact with the angel of the Lord, which was the pre-incarnate Christ, their response is always the same. Oh my goodness, I just saw God. I deserve to die. I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. That's their response. Why? Because they realize they're so inadequate. They realize that they're sinners. And so you see them, I think it's amazing here, they're coming clean. Because here's the thing, God wants you to come clean. And coming clean requires you to do this. It requires you and I to swallow what, folks? What do we got to swallow when it talks about coming clean? Pride. Yeah, that's the number one enemy of your soul is your pride. And, but here's the amazing thing. We still have pride when we realize that God knows everything. He even knows why you did it. He knows it better than you, you, do, you do yourself. And God wants you to come clean. In fact, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The key thing there is what? If we what? Confess our sins. If we come clean. If we come clean. And let me just stop for a moment. God is not shocked by you sinning. Because he knows that you're going to. How do I know that? A little bit further, a few verses down, chapter 2 of 1 John. My little children, I write unto you that you sin not. Well, there you go, George. He says I'm not supposed to sin. But notice the next phrase. But if you do, the assumption there is that he knows, God knows that you are going to sin. You have an advocate. Who's that? Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate. Someone sitting on his right hand saying, you know, I paid the price for their sin. They're our children. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to talk about coming clean. Coming clean. What does that mean? Well, we're going we're to look at all of chapter 9. So there's 38 verses here. We're not going to read all of them, but we're going to go through the passage a little bit at a time. And we're going to basically divide it up into four sections. We're going to see, first of all, separation. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you who are old line, who've been in independent Baptist churches, you know exactly what separation is. I'm going to blow your mind a little bit. It's a little bit more than what you were told it is, and it's not as extreme as what you were told. 
We're going to talk about separation. We're going to talk about acknowledgement. We're going to talk about who or what they did to acknowledge someone, because that's important in your life. We're going to talk about remembrance. We're going to talk about you and I need to have a remembrance of some things because they remembered some things that were important, and we're going to see that. And then, finally, we're going to talk about the plea, a plea of prayer, the plea that you and I need to have before God. Okay? So let's look, first of all, we've already read the verses, the issue of separation. So here's what I want you to see. Well, first of all, let me explain to you what separation used to be when I was taught. I remember when I got saved as a 19-year-old freshman in, in college, and I went to a little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina. I remember being taught all the time about separating from this and separating from that, and you couldn't go here and you couldn't go there, and you couldn't do this and you couldn't see that. And you, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You were taught that, right? Well, in some senses, there is a, a level of truth to that, but then in other senses, they went to an extreme, and a complete extreme. And I woke up one day, and I realized when I was reading through the New Testament, when Paul was talking about how we are to be with sinners, and he was basically saying, you cannot separate yourself from unbelievers. Because if you did, he says very clearly, you have to leave the planet. That when he talks about separation, he's talking about our separating ourselves from people who call themselves believers who aren't living right. Okay? So that's really what we talk about when we talk about separation. However, here in this passage, it's going to take a little bit different focus and it's not going to focus on that separation that you know from an extreme, whether you grew up with that in church or not, or even from what Paul was talking about separating from unbelievers, but he's going to talk about it in terms of influences in your life. Influences in your life. So if you look at, with me at verse 1, chapter 9, actually I think it's verse 2, it says that those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. They separated themselves from all foreigners. Well, there you go, George. They're separating themselves from unbelievers. No, no, no. I want you to understand what's going on here. Here's the point. They turned away from the sinful influences and confessed their sin to God. See, remember what I told you that they got disciplined for by God when he destroyed Jerusalem some 80 years beforehand? The reason why God destroyed Jerusalem is because they were no longer worshiping God, but they were worshiping what? Idols. Where did those idols come from? Those idols came from the people of the other nations around them. They began to worship the gods of the peoples around them. And so what ended up happening is, is that they were being influenced by their interaction with people from other nations to what? Forsake God and to begin to worship idols. In fact, isn't that what happened to King Solomon? Remember King Solomon? 700 wives? How in the world can one dude do that? I 
It's like you need your head examined. But then another amount of half-wives or concubines, dude had some issues. But here's what it says about those wives. They, if you read the scriptures, if you read 2 Kings, First and 2 Kings, if, especially 1 Kings, it talks about his wives, what? Turning his heart away from who? God. So here's what's going on here. These folks, when they realize this, they're interacting with God, they're realizing their sinfulness, they're realizing that there are influences in their life that are causing them to turn away from God, that are causing them to sin. So here's what they did. They turned away from those influences. They separated themselves from it. And they confessed their sin to God. It's interesting, isn't it? For some of you, can I be honest with you? You've got to ask yourself, what are the influences in your life and what are they doing to your relationship with the Lord? Now, years ago, I know, because I was in an independent Baptist church, preacher would get up there and would talk about, you got to quit watching the soap operas. Quit watching. How many of you have heard messages on not watching soap operas? Okay? Remember that? You know? And that's okay, but they didn't tell you why you weren't supposed to watch the soap operas. Actually, what they should have done was is maybe say, you know what, look at what are the negative influences in your life and decide, is it worth continuing to be influenced by them and what it's doing to your relationship with God? So, okay, here's the thing. Rather than getting up here and saying, okay, here's one, quit using the smartphone. Really? That's a ridiculous statement. Because, first of all, I know that a lot of you don't even have one. But rather, the question should be, what are the negative influences in your life that are hindering your relationship with God that are causing you to sin? If it's that, maybe it's an app. Maybe it's Facebook. We wouldn't say that, would you? No, I'm not, I'm just saying. Maybe it's not this. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's your television. But I don't watch TV. That's fine. Something. Maybe it's the news show or the morning show that you're listening to that's influencing you during the day. You know what it is. See, here's the thing. I don't need to tell you. I can just throw out examples. I don't need to tell you what it is in your life, because first of all, I don't know. Would everybody agree with that? I don't know. Everybody would agree with that, right? Or do we need more coffee flowing here this morning? I don't know what the negative influence is in your life, but there is something that is influencing your life that's hurting your relationship with God. That's causing you to sin. And like them, you've got to make a decision. You've got to turn away from it and confess it to God. Now, yeah, you need to go. And first of all, it's not like you're going to him and saying, hey, I want to tell you something you're not aware of. He already knows. 
He's waiting for you to recognize it and deal with it. So that brings us to the faith principle, because that's what we're doing. We're trying to learn the faith lessons from Nehemiah. So the first faith principle here is, is that faith understands that confession leads to separation from sin. Confession leads to separation from sin. I mean, listen, have, how many times have you heard? I mean, I grew up in a home of an alcoholic, okay? And, and I'll, I, don't usually, I, I don't usually talk about my family background, even among my own family. But I'll be honest with you, I, I have a vivid memory of my dad... constantly saying how sorry he was about being a drunk and about that he was going to change. He was going to do something. I, I probably heard that more times than I can count on my hands and feet. But all of that is meaningless because the next day, what did he have in his hand again? an old Milwaukee. So we understand, right? Confession, true confession, is not just saying something, it's one step further, it's repentance. It's making a decision to what? Do something about it and separate from it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's what faith is. Faith is recognizing before God, you know what, God, I am struggling with this issue and I need you to help me, but I also need to quit being around the influences that are leading me in that direction. Look, you know what? We've had 12-step program here at our church, and we've dealt with people. You know, one of the things that, you know, with, you, with this drug issue that's going on in our lives, the problem is, and, and we, we've recognized this, we've got to help them what? Separate from their friends. Make new friends. That's hard. Do you, do you understand? I mean, do you find it easy to make friends? But the problem is, is if they go back to the same friend group, the chances are they're not going to what? Survive. So faith understands that confession leads to a separation from sin. Let's go on here now. You go a little bit further in verses 4 to 7. You see now, after they've made their confession, we'll just read another verse here. Look with me at verse 5. It gives a list of the Levites, and look at what they say. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all, blessing and praise. You alone are Lord. You made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it. Seas and all that is in them. You preserve them all, the host of heaven worships you. Look at the very first line of verse 7. You are the Lord God. Now this is what's called acknowledgement. And I would dare say that's missing from our lives. Here's what they did. They acknowledged who God was and his sovereignty over the world. They acknowledged who God was and his sovereignty over the world. Folks, can I ask you a question? Have you considered that lately? I'm asking myself that. 
Have you considered as you're watching the news and you're seeing this injustice and that situation and this war and and this crisis and everything, have you sat back and thought, yeah, but you, Lord, are still God and you're the one who's in control? See, this is what they're doing. As they're acknowledging their sin before God, the next thing that comes out of them is they acknowledge who God is, that God is awesome and that he is sovereign. It's called reverence. So here's the second faith principle. Faith must recognize who God is and what he can do. Isn't that what faith is? You're God. And I trust you to handle this. I trust you to deal with this. Now, we come to that third section now, which is verses 7 through 31. So I'm not going to read all these verses to you. Because basically what they're, sh- they're sharing here is, is the story of Israel. It's, it's really a, an acknowledgement of how God has worked because they're remembering. What are they remembering? They're remembering how God brought them into the promised land and about how God took care of their enemies. And they're remembering how God watched over them. But here's what they're also remembering. They're remembering how rebellious they are. And about how they once again over and over turned away from God. And that over and over again, God had to discipline them to get their attention again. Ever notice that sometimes God's got to turn up the heat with you to get your attention? You ever, you ever had kids? Sometimes you have to turn the heat up with the kids to get their attention, right? And God did that. And, and then they would what? They would confess. And, and you'll see there that there was this pattern of this continually through their history. It's called remembrance. So here's the point I want you to make from this. Is that they remembered their rebellion and God's grace towards them. They remembered their rebellion and God's grace towards them. All right, let's stop. Remember what I said to you earlier, we're all a work in progress around here? Remember what I said, nobody's perfect, right? So do you sin? Only two of you, huh? Let me ask that again. Do you sin? All right, wow, we've all woken up to reality here, okay. We all sin. Does God discipline us? Yeah, you better believe it, he does. Sometimes they're called consequences, right? Right? Okay. Now let me ask you about your God. Does he still show you grace? Yeah, he does. Now, why do I even have to ask that? Because we've got to be reminded That the God who we continually sin against because we're sinners, who disciplines us to get our attention, is also the God who continues to show us what? Grace. Isn't that awesome? That's called, can I tell you what that's called? Love. Because isn't that what parents do? Do you know what I'm saying? Isn't that what we do as parents? When our kids do wrong, we discipline them, but we always show, end up showing them, hopefully you do, show them what? Grace, because we what? Love them, right? 
Love them. That's because he's the heavenly father. So here's the faith principle. Here's the third faith principle. You've got to grasp this. Faith rests on the hope of God's grace through Jesus Christ. Because here's what's going to happen. We're going to, when we get into the Abundant Life series, we're going to definitely talk about this a little bit more. But there, there should come a time in your Christian life where you realize, man, I am a sinner and I keep sinning. No matter how much I try to stop sinning, I can't. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, the stuff you're dealing with right now, you probably, if you're old enough now, you were dealing with 20 years ago. It's like, is there no end to this? That's called frustration. You want to you know how it's expressed in the Bible? Go to Romans chapter 7. Look at the last part of chapter 7. You'll see Paul expressed, the good that I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, the bad stuff I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin, Paul says. Then he says the next word. Thanks be to Christ Jesus. What's that about? Yes, there's this struggle. But God shows grace through Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Faith rests on the hope of grace through Jesus. Yes, you're going to struggle. But you need to remember that. So then comes the plea. Verse 32 through 38. The plea. Look at verse 32. This is what they said to God. This is a prayer. Now therefore, our God, the great, mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy, do not let all the troubles seem small before you that hath come upon us. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all and our people from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us, for you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. All right, so what's going on here? Here's what I want to show you. They sought God's intervention in the midst of their circumstances. Okay. I know how it is because I'm a human being just like you're a human being. You ever get this way? I know I get this way. Your world is upside down. Whatever you wished couldn't have happened, happened. The bottom fell out. And if if things could not get any worse, they do. And you're like... I am desperate. I need you, God. But here's the problem. The problem is is that you are all of a sudden playing these mental games, gymnastics. It's even reflected in your prayers. God, I need you, but I know that I haven't been doing right. God, I know that I've been sinning. And I keep struggling with the same old sin. I keep coming back and talking to you about the same old sins. But, you know, Lord, I need you desperately. But I understand if you don't want to help me, Lord, because I, I, I've done wickedly. You ever get like that? If you're honest, you would say that. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? The reason why you probably wouldn't say that or even nod to that is because of pride. The fact is, is we all get there. How can I say that? Because we're sinners. And we have a pretty big conscience about the stuff that we've done wrong. And we feel very, when you sin, you feel very inadequate before God. And you feel like your relationship with him has changed. But I'm going to remind you of something here. When you talk about the relationship with God, it is not based upon what you have done or haven't done. The relationship with God is based upon, as a believer, what Jesus has done on your behalf. Get that? Your acceptance with God has nothing, will not ever have anything to do with you. It will always have to do with what Jesus did for you. And where did he do it? On the cross. Did you ask him to do it? No, you didn't ask him to do it. He did it for you because he knew that's what you needed. And so when he reached out in his sovereignty and touched your life and saved you and forgave you, and restored the relationship with you, it never was based upon you. Do you understand that? That's what faith is, right? Faith is trusting that he did it all, right? Am I right in saying that? Okay. So here's the thing. They sought intervention. Why? Because they were resting their faith in what? What Jesus had done in grace and knowing that he loves them and that God promised that he would take care of him. See, you and I need to do the same thing, right? Your world's upside down. You need God to intervene. You don't need to go in there and say, well, you know, God, I, I know that you can do this, but I know you don't, you're not obligated. Baloney. Baloney. You're looking at it wrong. If one of my children call me on the phone and say, Dad, I need you to do this, but I know I'm not obligated because I didn't talk to you last week like I said I was going to, I'm going to say, well, I'm sorry, you know, you should have called me last week. Just talk to me about whatever. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to what? Put the phone down and go take care of my kids, right? Why? Because I'm their dad. They go to God because they recognize what? God is their father. You need to recognize that. So here's the fourth faith principle, okay? Fourth faith principle. Faith knows that God will intervene in the lives of his children. When I pray, and I'm asking him, like we prayed earlier during the pastoral prayer, when I'm saying to him, God, we have a problem in our community that is destroying our community. I am recognizing, I'm not just playing some pie in the sky, pull a slot machine, slot hope God that can do something. I'm saying, God, you're the only one that can help us through this crisis that's touching our families. Because I'm believing him. Because he intervenes in the lives of his what? His children. When we have loved ones who are dealing with health issues, we're praying, not hoping that God will decide to help us. I'm praying because I know that God can do that. Now, he doesn't in every instance. In some instances, he won't. I remember very clearly, I had a man in my office years ago who had a back problem, and we prayed for healing. And I remember right after that meeting, I had to drive from here to Clearfield, and I'm driving along to Kerwinsville Highway, and I'm right out there at the railroad trestle, and right before you get out of town, by Arnold Town there, and, and 
I just sensed God saying to me, do you believe I can heal him? And I said, yes, Lord. I said, Lord, you can heal him. But what if I don't? I said, okay, Lord. You don't have to. And then this thought occurred to me because, you know, what if I decided that I want him to have that back problem? Because if I made him whole again, he would leave me. I was like, wow, Lord. Wow. And I thought about it. Yeah, this guy had, was a young guy. He would go back into his old lifestyle. Oh, yeah, he would be happy that he was healed, but he would go back. See, it's a little bit more complicated than you think, isn't it? But faith puts its trust in who? God. And that he will intervene. But where does it begin? So let me, let, let me close with this. It goes all the way back to verse 1 where it says that they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. It starts there, folks. It starts with you going to God and acknowledging what? I'm a sinner. And I need you, Lord. I need you. Let's pray.